From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalms chapter 51. We're going to go to verses 16 and 17. Today, if you notice, if you're here last week, um, and my problem with my iPad, I didn't even bring my iPad up this week, so we're just going to go by the grace of God, and it's going to be good, I'm excited for it. So Psalms chapter 51, um, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you have an app on your phone, I encourage you to turn there. I've been doing this practice. I've been using, I use a Bible reading plan on my phone. but I don't know if you're like this and you, and you use your Bible on your phone, it's, the phone is very distracting because you get notifications for every single thing that you're a part of from you know, text messages, phone calls, emails, social media, apps that you're part of. And so it can be distracting. So I've been practicing a lot more using a physical Bible and there's something about turning pages on a physical Bible. There's something about that. Actually, I think I've shared this before. I read a study once that actually talked about how you retain better when you read physical books than when you read through uh, a phone. And that's because you're so used to to the scrolling mentality of things like Facebook that we don't retain even when we read the scripture because we can't physically point to where it is in the the page. Whereas when it's on a book, you can be like, oh, I kind of remember it was on the left side at the top. You know, it kind of gives us a visual for it. And so something I've been doing, so I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church, which is crazy that I even have to say that. We're in a three-part series talking about dangerous prayers. And we're detouring from our, our discussion and our series in the Gospel of Mark um, to take a look at this just for three weeks. And last week we looked at the prayer, Search Me, and this week we're gonna step into another one today. And the reason that we're doing this one, it's based off a book that I just read by um, uh, Craig Groeschel called Dangerous Prayers. If you're looking for a light read, that's for you. If you're looking for something a little bit more theological or deep, this is not for you. It's just a light, easy, breezy read. Um, but it's based off of this book where we're challenged to pray the kind of prayers that actually are life-altering, that actually are life-changing. Because if you don't know this, most of us pray very safe prayers. right? We pray prayers like, God bless me and help me and protect me and provide for me. And these are not wrong prayers. In fact, they're good prayers. If you don't pray these prayers, pray these prayers. It's a, it's a good prayer to pray, but they're safe prayers. They're safe prayers, and what we're doing is we're looking at dangerous prayers because here's what a dangerous prayer is. A dangerous prayer requires risk, but it builds faith. It requires risk because it kind of puts everything on the table. It just basically says, here, God, here's my life. Here's everything. It's all for you, and it could be potentially life-altering. Your life could change. Your person could change. Your family could change. Your career could change. Your location could change. Everything could change, and that's risky, right? It's risky when you know that everything's on the table. It's like when you're playing that, that maybe you shouldn't, but maybe you're playing that poker game, and you're kind of just going all in, and you're risking, but what you risk in this has the potential to actually build your faith exponentially. That's what a dangerous prayer does. It risks, but it has a potential to build your faith exponentially. Now, when we look at this, and as we look at this over the next few weeks, and as as you begin to pray this, here's what I believe is, here's what I know is going to happen, is that in the spiritual realm, there is going to be war that breaks out. There is, unbeknown to our natural senses, a spiritual realm that exists all around us. And we see this throughout the scripture. The scriptures teach that. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that the war we wage is not against um, flesh and blood, 
right? It's not in the physical. Though we feel the effects in the physical, we feel the tension in the physical, we feel the struggle, the hardship, the difficulty in the physical. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, right? Rulers, authorities in dark places. And so as you begin to pray the kind of prayers that are, are, have the potential to be life-changing, war is going to break out. We see this in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel prays a prayer, and immediately from heaven, there's an answer to that prayer that is delivered to him through the angel, but the angel is caught up in a battle in the spiritual realm. And so the answer being delivered to Daniel is actually delayed because of that battle. So he's waiting on an answer, and an answer isn't given to him because war is happening. Now, here's what these dark forces want in your life. They don't want you to be bold. They want you to remain comfortable and complacent. And safe prayers keep us comfortable and complacent, right? Because they don't cause us to be bold. They don't stir us to be courageous. They don't put us in positions where we risk in everything, but we have the potential to build faith. Now, last week, we prayed this prayer, search me. And, and, and know my heart, reveal my fears. Today, we're going to take it a step further. Now, many of you might not agree with this prayer. Many of you will not pray this prayer and mean it. But this is the turning point prayer, I believe. This is the turning point prayer, I really, truly, truly believe. And so Psalms chapter 51, uh, David says this in verse 16. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Father, today as we take a look at this scripture, I pray in your name, would you speak to every single one of us your truth, Lord? Would you reveal to us the truth of what this means today? And would you encourage us, God, to position ourselves in, in places of prayer where we pray things, God, that could actually change our life. Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay and we pray in the name of Jesus, would you do whatever it takes to shape us into the person you have designed us to be, the person that you have created us to be. Lord, so the marred existence that we have, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you mold today, would you shape today, God, so we can step into the callings you have for us and the purposes you have for us. God, so we can be who we're supposed to be in your name. Lord, we love you and we bless you, God. Give us ears to hear this morning. And we know, God, that in the, in the spiritual realm, Lord, there is war that wages around us. Help us to be mindful. But Lord, remind us, God, that you have won the war. You have won the war. The victory is ours. You have overcome the enemy, God. You've overcome darkness. So even though the battle wages, God, and even though we feel the effects of that, God, um, we know, God, that we can trust in you, have our hope in you, and find peace in you in Jesus' name. So as we look at this, give us peace and give us courage. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, my kids uh, love playing Play-Doh. I brought some Play-Doh with me this morning. My kids love playing Play-Doh. I don't like playing Play-Doh with them too much. That's a terrible thing to say as a father. Um, but I don't like playing Play-Doh because it's really messy. It's really messy. And there's always, I don't know if you have young kids. If you don't have young kids and you're like, oh, another young kid's story, you just got to deal with it, okay? I have young kids and they're the best sermon illustrations that I can think of. And so just deal. 
But Plato's messy, and there's always these little bits of Plato that are everywhere that I know that I'm going to have to clean up because my little kids are playing with it, and it's just, I don't like it. So whenever they would say, let's play Plato, a part of me kind of just goes, oh. But I love Plato because it just gets the creativity flowing, right? It gets the juices and creativity going and the imagination, and it's really good for that. So on Monday, we are, we're playing Plato, much to uh, my delight. And um, my little daughter, who's two years old now, says to me, puppy, 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 puppy. And I'm like, what? Puppy, puppy. She wanted me to make her a puppy because months ago I had made this puppy out of Play-Doh. Puppy, quote unquote. And she remembered, so she wanted me to make her another one. So I proceeded to make this puppy, and it didn't really look like a puppy to me. It kind of looked like a worm with like some bumps on it. Um, that's what I thought. In fact, I think she thought similar because she looked at it like that's not a puppy until I told her puppy, and she's like, oh, okay. And then on, on uh, Friday, we were making more Play-Doh playing with more Play-Doh, and she says the same thing again, puppy, 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 and so um, she's at the back probably saying puppy right now, and so I decide, I proceed to make this, I don't even know if you can see this, but this is, uh, this is my puppy, this is, this is my puppy design, and she looks at it and says, Digi, Digi's our cat, so it didn't look like a puppy to her, it looked like a kitty cat. I don't know if you've ever made anything before, but I often have like Pinterest vision in mind. You know, that this thing that I'm going to accomplish is going to look exactly like this, but as I begin to work on that something, it doesn't quite reach what I, what I envisioned. This is not what I envision, even as I make, and I make this every single time. This is my puppy. But it's not what I envision will happen. You know, and it got me, anytime I make stuff, the things that I vision, the things that I think of, um, it doesn't quite reach what it intended to be. I'm going to put that there for you, sir, as a visual representation of what I'm talking about right now. Have you ever considered that maybe the, the person you are the version of yourself that you are today is not where you were intended to be. Like you are the sum of your life, right? Your, your upbringing, your experiences, your choices. Some would say that you're, you're the product of a thousand decisions you have made. What if the version you are now is not the version you were intended to be? Like when God formed you and he made you, the Bible says that he numbered the hairs on your head. He was thinking about you. What if, what if the, your life and, and the experiences and the upbringings and your decisions over time has left you to be a version that was not in the original design? You're kind of like marred clay. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we read of the prophet was led by, by God to go down to the potter's house. God wanted, had a message for the prophet Jeremiah, and so he led him to the potter's house. And as the potter's working with clay, the scripture says in chapter 18 that it's marred, it's deformed, it's disfigured. You know, life has left us marred. Life has left us, COVID's left us marred and disfigured. Sometimes the version of us is not what was intended to be. So how do we become the person that we were intended to be? How do we take the marred existence, the clay, and become who we were, we were intended to be, who God designed us to be. How do we do that? And what if, what if what we've been doing is wrong? And what if what we've been told is wrong? You know, we live in a culture that, that tells us to become, to pursue the best version of yourself. 
And I don't, I don't disagree with that. And so they say work harder and smarter to be more successful and eat healthy and exercise so you can, you can look better and feel better and live with confidence and like yourself, right? They say to, they say to envision you know, the best version of yourself and defy your old impulses, right? They say these things, and I don't think they're all bad. In fact, I could probably argue it's good to eat healthy and exercise. It's good to love yourself. It's good to, let, to work hard, right? Those are good things, but the cultural pursuit is a pursuit of self, where the biblical pursuit is a pursuit of self-denial. So when we're, when, we're, when we're pursuing the best version of ourselves, the way the culture directs us, we're actually moving away from the biblical pursuit of the best version of ourselves. So let me suggest this, that what if to become the version that God intended us to be means that we have to pray a prayer that opens us up for him to break us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like that. Say what? Break me, God. Break me of my pride. Break me of my sin. Break me of myself so you can take my marred existence and shape it how you intended it to be, how you want it to be. Now, this is dangerous because when we pray this prayer, break me, most likely it's going to hurt. In fact, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I know what you're thinking, or somebody's thinking this, because I've thought it too. I don't like this idea, because this doesn't line up with, with the God of love, and this doesn't line up with who I know God to be. God is a caring provider who heals and protects. He's not, he's, he is the provider, and he is the healer. He's not the breaker. I don't, I don't like this idea of breaking, yet throughout the scriptures, you see this picture of a humbling that God does in his people, whether in body or in circumstance, that he uses to draw them back to himself and to become the people that he's called them to be. So let me give you two reasons this morning why we should be praying this dangerous prayer, break me, humble me, rid me of myself, and shape me this morning. Let me give you two reasons. The first one is this, pride. You are more prideful than you think. You are more prideful than you think. This is what we can define pride of this morning. Pride is the excessive belief in one's own abilities that intervenes with the individual's recognition of the grace of God. It's the excessive belief in my own ability and who I am that interferes with my recognition of God's grace in my life. We use words like egotistical and, and arrogant and selfish and vain, and we have that picture that's a very bold picture. In fact, there's, there's two kinds of pride. There's the very classical picture, which most of us think of. We think of the, the loud and the obnoxious and the bully type of person. We say, man, that person is so prideful, and that's not wrong. But then there's this more subtle type of, of pride. It's, 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 it's quiet, and it appears humble, and it looks innocent, but it says, I'm okay, I don't need to be transformed. I'm good, I'm better, I don't need to be changed. That's pride, that's pride. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except maybe Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. 
I have heard people admit they are bad-tempered, or they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. At the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who is not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. Or, and the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. Pride is what made Satan Satan. Because he thought that he could be just like God. In fact, he wanted to be God, and so he was cast out of heaven. Pride is what made Satan Satan. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve to believe that they didn't need God. That they didn't need his commands, that they didn't need his rules. Pride is what caused the mankind to build the Tower of Babel to try to ascend to the heavens. Pride is what caused the Israelites to wander the desert in disobedience. Pride is what brought the downfall of people like Samson. Like Gideon, pride is, is to you and me, keeps us from God. It allows us to, to focus on ourself. It, 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 has, it leads to eternal destruction, and it, it keeps us from becoming the person that God wants us to be. You are more prideful than you think. And if you're thinking right now, I'm not prideful, you are prideful. If you think I'm good, you are not good. There is a measure of it in you. There's more of it in you think. And so why do we need to pray, break me? Because there's something that holds me back from moving forward in God, and it's my pride. Second thing this is this, and it's kind of in line with that, and it's spiritual maturity. We need, we need a, to be broken because we need to grow in spiritual maturity. Maturity in Christ comes through what is built in you through hardship and suffering. Maturity in Christ, in faith, is what is built in you through difficulties. So James, the half-brother of, of Jesus, said it this way in James chapter 1. Many of you know this verse. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy, he says. Not part joy, not three parts joy, one part, you know, hardship. Not two parts joy, half joy, and half, you know, uh, uh, uncertainty. Pure joy. Consider it pure joy. The kind of joy when Jesus says, my joy I give to you. Pure joy when you face trials. Some scriptures say, or some translations say, tribulations, difficulties, hardships of many kinds. Not just that one. Oh, if I understand that one, but this one, you don't know about this one. This one's really difficult. Like this one is not something I can. He says, consider it pure joy of many kinds because it produces perseverance in you. It produces endurance in you. And this is what I want to look at for a second here is he says, and let perseverance what? Continue on so that you may be mature and complete. You cannot reach maturity and completeness until you face trials of many kinds and go through those difficulties because they produce in you growth in God. Some of us, we go through a trial, and we're like, okay, I got some endurance now, I'm good, I don't need any more. But how many know you don't know how much endurance you have until you face another endurance race? I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if that made me stronger. I don't know if it produced in me perseverance until I hit something else where I need that perseverance, right? 
I can work out in the gym, I can go for a run, but it's the next time I go that I'm gonna know if I built up any strength. Spiritual maturity. We need to be broken so that we can grow. I read this morning in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12 of this. Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse seven, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So when you face difficulty, when you face a brokenness, when you face a breaking, what is God doing? He's disciplining you as a child. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Can I just pause there? If you do not face hardship, if you do not face difficulty, then you are not a true son or daughter of God. If your relationship with God is peachy keen and rainbows and lollipops, and you're walking on clouds all the time, well, maybe you're not walking with the God that I serve and the God of the scriptures. Because the God that I serve and the God of the scriptures takes us through hardship, not necessarily brings it, but takes us through it so that something can be produced in us. Let me continue on. I just lost my place here. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And let me read verse 11 for you as well. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Nobody likes it. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So why do we need a breaking? Because of the pride that is in us and because God wants to produce in us spiritual maturity. So let me take you back to Psalms chapter 51 that we read at the beginning. David wrote this after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and his sin was fined out. So let me take you back to the story. 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is not where he should have been. The army is out fighting, and in those days, the king would actually go out to battle with the army, leading the charge. But David is not where he should be out with the army. He's back home doing nothing. He got to the place in his position where he believed he did not need to perform his duty. What is that? That is pride. And so David is at home doing nothing. He's not fighting. He's strolling on the roof, and he sees a woman bathing. When you're not doing what you should be doing, you can find yourself doing something else. But can you be sure that that something else is God's will? So David is strolling. He sees this woman bathing, and what happens in him? He's tempted. And instead of moving away from her in his temptation, he moves towards her. See, pride will cause you to move towards sin, not away from it. So he moves towards her, he spends the night with her, they have a, a good time, and then she becomes pregnant. You can read between the lines. And so what does David do? Well, this woman is actually married. She's married to a man who's in the fight. She's married to a man that's doing what David should have been doing, fighting. And so David, in his sin, in his pride, he tries to cover it up. So he brings this man home, his man, this man's name is Uriah, and hopes that he will spend a little time at home with his wife, relaxing and think that the baby is his. But Uriah is tied to the fight. 
He's tied to the fight while his brothers in arms and commanders are out fighting. He could not bring himself to relax. And so he did not spend time with his wife. And so then what does David do? David takes it a step further. And so he sends Uriah back to the battle and puts him in the front lines with the hopes that he will be killed. What is happening to this man of God that we know and love? What is happening to this, this man that we've read about in scriptures, this man who faced against Goliath when the army would cower? He's now sending a man to the front line to be killed. And what happens? Uriah is killed. And the wife, Bathsheba, she mourns the loss of her husband. But after time goes on and she's done mourning, David takes her. So this is not just like a, a one-day thing. This is not just happened over a weekend, okay? Like time is going on here. He takes this woman into his house and she becomes his wife. That's an extent. I, don't, I can guess that that's probably longer than a couple weeks time. And so then the prophet comes to David's house. The prophet Nathan comes to David's house and reveals to David his sin through a story. And he reveals to David the consequences for his sin, that the child that he had with Bathsheba would die, and that David's household would not be without hardship for the rest of his life. And what is David in that moment? He's broken. He's broken. And he writes this in Psalms chapter 51. He writes this, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not delight in service. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. He's humbled, he's broken, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So here's what I learned, okay? Many of you know this. Brokenness and humility will lead us to God, but pride will drive us away from God. Humility will lead us to God, pride will drive us away from God. A broken spirit recognizes our place before God, pride tries to position us above God. And although we may not say that, that's how our actions live. God used this moment in David's life of, of breaking him, knowing that David's pride would drive him away, but humility would bring him in. You know, how you respond in your brokenness will determine how you recover it in your brokenness. And if sometimes we believe that in the hurt and the pain of all, we don't turn to God, not, and we say it's not because of pride, we say it's because of insecurity, but, but pride often masks itself as insecurity. Pride, pride pretends to be insecure, even unconsciously to ourselves. So it's not insecurity, it's pride, because you do not want to expose yourself and go to God in your brokenness. So we do, we do what David did, we try to hide the brokenness. We try to bury the brokenness. We don't want people to see the brokenness because we don't want people to know what's deep down inside of our heart. A hurting, broken, messed up person. But humility, if we respond in humility and just expose ourselves before the God who already knows what's in there, say, okay, God, you already know here, I'm nothing, I'm broken, I lost it all. I've, I've not just messed up, David, Royal, I killed a guy. This man of God, this man of God, who is God's chosen one to be king, is now not the version of himself that he was designed to be. He's an adulterer, he's a murderer, and he's a deceiver. And God uses brokenness, what? To restore him, to take him deeper, to mature him. 
God breaks you and uses breaking moments in your life to shape you to become the version of you that you were meant to be, like a potter takes marred clay and fashions it. I'm gonna invite Joel, would you come up and play some keys for us here? So Mark chapter 14, there's this woman uh, who comes to Jesus as Jesus is having dinner at Simon the leper's house, which is interesting because Jesus is hanging out with people that everyone else thinks you shouldn't be hanging out with. And Jesus is doing it with the purpose of showing love and compassion and grace to that person. So Jesus is hanging out with Simon the leper and some people, and this woman comes, and she's a prostitute. Prostitutes in those days, much like prostitutes today, find themselves in that position because they're in a desperate situation. It's likely that this woman is a prostitute because she had no other choice. And so we don't know much about the details of her life, but what we can speculate is at some point she encountered a man that changed her life, and that man was Jesus. And so in this, in this moment, um, she comes to Jesus in one moment of, of gratitude to, to express worship, to express honor to him by taking a, a jar of exotic perfume and breaking it and pouring it out over him to show, show her love. Because unlike any, any other man that she encountered before, Jesus showed her love, and he showed her compassion, and he showed her dignity, and he showed her respect. And so she took what was so precious to her and so valuable to her, and she broke it open and poured it out on Jesus. Now, I know what maybe you thought of when you've read this story in the past or even today is you think, wow, that's amazing. Or you think, oh, but there were people there that were frustrated and angry with this because the jar of perfume that she broke was so expensive, they believed that it could be used for something else. The, the jar of perfume that she broke and poured out on Jesus was worth about a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. How much do you make in a year? Don't, don't tell me that. That's your business. A year's worth of wages. And so they look at this sacrifice and they're like, come on, we could do so much with that. We got bills we can pay Jesus. We got ministry we can support. We got, we got things we could do. What is she doing? Now, here's what I learned about the perfume is that it was incredibly expensive. So most women didn't buy it. In fact, scholars suggest that only those women of the streets, prostitutes, purchased perfume because it was like a calling card to them. When men would come by or people would come by and they'd smell the aroma, they would know that she was available for a price. And so to her, the jar of perfume represented so much more than just a year's worth of wages. It represented the sum of her life. This is the sum of my life. This is the prostitution that I've been involved in. This is the, the sinfulness that I've been involved in. This is the identity that has wrapped me up other than Jesus. And so for her, breaking this jar over and pouring out the perfume over Jesus was not only about her wage, it was not about wasting resource, but it was about no longer letting something that had defined her entire life define her. And it represented in one moment, in one moment, it represented defining her from that point on by Jesus. In one moment of unbridled worship, her worship cost her a year's worth of wages. It was worth it to her what Jesus had done. The breaking of her entire existence. Let me tell you this. I don't know what she did after that for work, but I don't think she cared because Jesus was more important. I don't, 
I don't know what she thought, the people around her thought of her, but I don't think she cared because Jesus was more important. He had changed her life. Listen, she experienced Jesus in a life-changing way. That's our vision here at the church. We want people to experience Jesus in a way that transforms their life. And so she takes this jar and she breaks it as a, as, as a form of worship. She says, my life is spilled out for you. My life is yours, it's not mine. Break me because all I am is yours. All I am is yours. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 16. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever loses their life hits that painful breaking point where the potter can now take the clay and shape it as he sees best. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 18, it says this. It says that the pot that the, the potter was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. See, until we're broken, God can't shape us. Until we say, okay, strip me of all that I am, God can't break us. God can't shape us. So let me tell you how this works. You know that prayer that we prayed last week? Search me. I got a hammer. Search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Reveal, uncover my sin. Whatever it is that was revealed to you, if you prayed that prayer this week, if you prayed that prayer this week and God revealed something to you, you take that thing and you say, break me of that. See, the first step is for him to expose you for who you are. The second step is for him to break you of who you are. And so we say, break me of my selfishness. Break me of my greed. Do whatever it takes. Just like David, how you had to expose his sin, do whatever it takes. Break me of my lust. Break me of my addiction. Break me of, of my, my, my selfishness. Break me of myself so that it's all poured out for you. It's all for you. I know that was a big mess and, and climactic. And notice that there's rice and not perfume in there. Break me. Break me. Break me and shape me. Shape me. Shape me. Shape me how best you see. My life is yours. My, my family, it's yours. My marriage, it's yours. My kids, they're yours. My job, it's yours. My life, it's yours. See, the woman recognized that because she found in Jesus love and she found in him compassion and she found in him identity and she found in him everything that she'd been searching for her entire life and she didn't realize it in Jesus. And so she says, I'll break it all for you. I'll break it, I'll break it and I'll pour it out on you. My life is poured out for you. It's no longer about me, it's about you. So how do we pray that prayer? That's it. God, I'm prideful, break me of my pride. I'm sinful, break me of my sin. Break me of myself. Because the cultural pursuit is one of self. But Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now here's the hard part, is when we're broken, like this is painful. This could have been actually really painful for me. 
that is painful because now I've been stripped of my job title at work. And you think that maybe that was just your performance, but you forgot that you prayed a prayer, God, break me, because you found identity in that job title. And then you've, been, you've lost the investment, and you think, man, I just made a bad call, but you forgot that you prayed, God, break me, and you have, you've had too much identity wrapped up in your retirement. And it hurts when your sin has been exposed before your family. Because now you feel like your family is breaking apart. But you forget that you prayed, God, break me. And that your identity was too wrapped up in your appearance and your image. But what God can do is he can take this marred piece of clay that we can't restore and we can't put back together. See, when you're broken, you can't put it back together. I can try. I'm really terrible at Play-Doh, though, so I don't think I'm gonna do well with this pot. And we could try to put it back together. I can even try to put some glue on it, paste. I can pick up the pieces. I can try to pick up all the pieces. But there's, there's really small ones, too. But what God can do is he can take that and he can shape that how he sees best so it's a dangerous prayer because that hurts it's a dangerous prayer because it puts out everything on the table but let me just tell you that in some cases it can be more dangerous not to pray this prayer because you actually hold yourself back from being the version of you you were intended to be it's more risky to not pray See, both prayers, praying a safe prayer or a dangerous prayer, require risk. But only one builds faith exponentially. And only one, you become the best version of yourself. And not the cultural version, but the biblical version. Break me. That's it. That's all it takes. And it's different for each of us. And the levels of brokenness is different for each of us. It's individual. The potter was taking that pot that was marred, not the pots. He's taking that pot and he was shaping that pot how he thought best. Because the way you are shaped is different than the way I'm shaped. And the way you're shaped is different how you're shaped than how you're shaped than how you're shaped than you're shaped. And your brokenness is all different than my brokenness and my brokenness is different than your brokenness. It's not about comparing brokenness. It's not about comparing shape of pots. It's allowing God to do the deep work in us so that we can become the person that he designed. When we, I was reading this book with my kids and it took the creation story to a whole new level and a whole new visualization for them. When God, when God was forming you, even before you were in the womb, and he was thinking about the potential in you, it's becoming that version. It's becoming that. Like when I... When my wife was pregnant with our kids and I start to visualize and I start to think about all the things my kids can become, like in that moment, it's about becoming that person. And I look at my kids now and I see even, even at two and five and seven, I see, I see the brokenness, I see the marred clay. And I'm like, already, Lord, I don't know if they're gonna reach the potential that I see, but I hope that at some point in my, my life and their life, you will break them so that they can become the person that you intended to be. Because you can take this and you can form it into something way better. So listen, I can't, make, I can't pray this prayer for you. I can only encourage you to do it. I can only encourage you to pour your life out. 
that's on you. Many of you won't pray it and mean it. And those of you that do, when you hit that breaking point, you gotta remember where to look. Because it's not just over a weekend, it's not just a moment. There's a life change right there. That's a life change. It's a life change. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray today. we know, I know that when you designed us and you fashioned us and you thought us, God, in your mind before we even exist, existed, you had a plan and purpose. You had a, a shape. You had a form. What I also know, God, is you knew what upbringings we would have, what experiences we would have, what decisions we would make. You, you knew how we would become how marred clay. But you were the potter. And you can take our marred life, our disfigured, disformed life, and you can shape it how you see fit so that we can become the person that you designed us to be. But I pray that we would be willing to let go of ourselves. We'd be willing to pray the prayer, God, break me of everything that holds me back from being everything I can be in you. And God, I know that that's difficult and that's that's. That's gonna be really hard. That's a tribulation that we'll face. But I pray, God, if we pray that prayer, mean it, that we'd look to you in that and we trust you in that, we'd have faith in you in that, and we put our hope in you in that moment. Because on the other side of that brokenness, God, is your greatest blessing. So I pray, God, that today, every person that's listening to this, every person that's tuning in online, every person that's in this room, I pray in Jesus' name, would you challenge us to pray that prayer, to open ourselves up to, to you using a situation in our life where, God, you just intervening hardcore to break us so that you can shape us and mold us. Lord, I bless you. God, I honor you for your goodness. I honor you for your faithfulness. I honor you that you've already taken people that are part of this congregation and you've broken them before, God, and you've shaped them into the people that you've called them to be. I bless you for that. And I praise you for the day, God, that many people will do that in this room, God, so that we can become the people you, you called us to be. I praise you for the callings and I pray, praise you for the purposes that are unfolding. I praise you, God, for the people that step into their full potential, God, their giftings and, and the things that you have purpose for them, God, because they pray this prayer. I praise you for that. And I bless you for it. And we love you, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So my encouragement for you, my challenge for you, pray this prayer, trust in God, and let him shape you as a potter shapes clay. It's dangerous, it requires risk, but it will build your faith exponentially. Amen? You are welcome, if you're in this space, with a mask on, to come and grab a piece of rice or a piece of broken pot, if it will help remind you of this, of this prayer. It, listen, if you're new today, whether you're online or in the house, um, go to weareparkway.com slash next steps, fill out our connect card. If you're in the house and you're looking for your next steps, if you're online, you're looking for your next steps, go there. Be a person that pursues becoming the biblical self you were designed to be. Amen? God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. 
We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.